0: On Monday, the day before flying to Texas to demagogue at the funerals of Dallas cops killed by an anti-white racist, President Obama met with law enforcement leaders across the country. At that meeting, Obama threatened law enforcement with his usual mafioso tactic. You know, nice police department you got there. Shame if something happened to it. Good thing I'm around to protect you. According to the Washington Post, Obama said the attack on cops was a hate crime, which is different than what he was saying last Sunday. And then he said, quote, I'm your best hope. Obama's a racial blackmailer. He's an arsonist. He ignites the flames, and then he tells the cops only he can put out those flames if they just trust him and give him power. This routine is actually nothing new from Obama. Back in 2009, when he met with top financial CEOs and essentially ordered them to cut their own salaries, he said, quote, Be careful how you make those statements, gentlemen. The public isn't buying that. And then he continued, My administration is the only thing between you and the pitchforks. These tactics are despicable. And they should be condemned by anybody of decent heart and mind. President Obama called police officers around the country racist on Thursday morning, hours before cops were shot by an anti-white racist in Dallas. Then he claimed he had no idea why the shootings had happened in the first place. And now he says they were hate crimes, but that only he can heal the country and advocate for the cops. This is scurrilous nastiness of the highest order. And his grandstanding isn't going to end there. Obama, right now, as we're speaking, he's going to stand over the caskets of the officers and rip into cops. Here's a statement he put out this morning via the White House. I reject the idea that these issues are somehow too big for us, that America is too divided to find common ground. As I've said, I know that we can honor the incredible courage and service of our police officers and also recognize the racial disparities that exist in our criminal justice system. There's no contradiction there. And if we are going to come together to solve those problems, we have to understand that. So we'll have to talk to each other. We'll have to listen to each other. And we'll have to see each other as equal parts of the American family. So, in other words, the cops are still racist. Just these dead cops aren't racist. And the only reason the dead cops aren't racist is because they're dead. If they'd lived and we'd waited a week and they continued to arrest a quote-unquote disproportionate number of black people, in other words, arresting people responsible for crime regardless of race, they'd still be part of the problem. Obama isn't interested in fixing anything. He's interested in setting fires. And the whole nation is burning. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. (laughs) Tend to demonize people who don't care about your feelings. Okay, so because we're live... We can't watch President Obama's speech, which is sure to be a, a crap fest over at the, at the funeral for these Dallas cops. As I said yesterday, I think cops have every right to turn their backs on the president when he does this. Again, hours before these cops were shot, he was saying there's systemic racism in the justice system. You can't say things like, I stand for cops. Also, the system that they staff, the system that they administer is systemically racist. You can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, that's like lamenting that, that any institution is deeply racist and then saying, yeah, but if a few people from that institution die, those people were heroes. It doesn't doesn't work that way. And President Obama wants to play both sides of the table. But first, a a piece of quick breaking news. Bernie Sanders has now endorsed Hillary Clinton. So we can watch a little bit of Bernie Sanders endorsing Hillary Clinton. This is clip 23.
1: I have known Hillary Clinton for 25 years. We were a bit younger then. (laughs) I remember her as a great... First Lady, who broke precedent in terms of the role that a First Lady was supposed to play. And as she helped lead the fight to universal health care. I served with her in the US Senate and know her as a fierce advocate for the rights of our children.
0: Okay, we can stop it. Bernie sold out. Bernie sold out. And I know her. Well, Bernie's done, right? I mean, he's, he's sold out. So it turns out the, the all-principled socialist, the man who could not be bought, he was bought for basically a song by Hillary Clinton. Basically, the way this went was Hillary went to him and she said, what do I need to do to get you to endorse me? He said, I would like a pudding cup. I love pudding. But I don't know why there are so many types of pudding. Why there don't need to be that many flavors of pudding? The world would be just fine if there were one flavor of pudding, and the rich must pay for the pudding. Why am I here? I don't know where I am. Take me back to a rubber room from whence I came. Also, I may have pooped. It's, it's, so he's he's standing, <laughs> so he's standing there endorsing the lady, and I love all the Bernie Sanders supporters today saying, "Well, he fought the good fight. He really fought the good fight. and Now he's just getting in line, and you know we're unifying behind Hillary." Okay. He was, like, two weeks ago saying that Hillary Clinton was deeply corrupt because she was giving speeches for Goldman Sachs. I don't know if you remember that. I know maybe he has short-term memory loss, but you you shouldn't. Okay, he was ripping into her for being a corrupt heretic five seconds ago and now she's the greatest thing I have ever seen, or at least that I can remember, and I can only remember as far back as what I ate for breakfast this morning, and it was Metamucil. So, (laughs) so, so, Bernie Sanders endorsing Hillary Clinton, that's big news, demonstrating once again that nobody in politics has any principles, including the so-called principled socialists, I've ripped into Republicans for shifting the nature of the Republican Party to fit Donald Trump. I will rip into Bernie Sanders and his idiot supporters for now moving over to the most corrupt woman in politics, Hillary Clinton. I love how he, he stood there and he said that she's going to fight for financial redistribution. She's going to fight for a fairer world that doesn't benefit the top 1%. Like, she's standing right there, Bernie. You understand? She's, like, right next to you when you say this. And that jacket she's wearing is probably a $1,000 jacket, which she got wildly overcharged, if that's how much that jacket cost. I mean, she, she could have just stolen it off the dead body of Violet Beauregard from... <laughs> From Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I do not know why she is dressed like someone from the Chocolate Factory or why there must be chocolate factories putting small chocolate manufacturers out of business or why there is slavery for the orange Oompa Loompas. I love those things. I don't know what they do. I only hope they have fruit cups. Okay, so <laughs> the, so we'll put aside... <laughs> it, it, there's just too much Bernie Sanders. It, we, it's, it's our tribute to Bernie Sanders today because now he's... He's faded off into the mists of time. He's, he's gone. He's like Brigadoon. He comes once every hundred years, except bringing horror in his wake. Okay, so back to the actual top story of the day. So President Obama is descending on Dallas. I want to pay tribute here to the actual hero of the Dallas story. That is this Dallas police chief. This guy is a stud. He's great. This Dallas police chief has been saying all the right things. He, he won't get politically involved. He's standing up for his officers in a way that a lot of police chiefs don't. Political actors like Charlie Beck in LA, he doesn't stand up for his officers. Uh, The the, the fellow Bill Bratton in New York, he doesn't stand up for his officers. This guy does. So, Police Chief David Brown, he was asked about the protesters, and here was his answer about the Black Lives Matter protesters, pretty spectacular.
2: That's too much to ask. Policing was never meant to solve all those problems, and I just ask for other parts of our democracy, along with the free press to help us serve your communities. Don't be a part of the problem. We're hiring. We're hiring. Uh, Get off that protest line and and, and put an application in. And we'll put you in your neighborhood, and we will help you resolve some of the problems you're protesting about.
0: And this is exactly right. If you don't like how the cops are acting, join the cops and do better. Do better. But the left doesn't want to do that. The left is not interested in doing that. In fact, what the left really is interested in doing is breaking down all bonds of social fabric. What the left is really interested in doing is ending policing as as it currently stands. Now, here's the reality. If you actually want to solve the problem in the black community, you need more police, not less. You don't need fewer police officers. You need more police officers. And the reason you need more police officers is because if you want your community to thrive, if you want economic growth, if you want educational opportunity, you need people to live there who aren't afraid of being burglarized every two seconds, who are not afraid to send their kids out on the street to play ball without a drug dealer approaching them. You actually need rule of law. You need rule of law. And that means that you need people there enforcing the rule of law, making the rule of law happen. There's that study we mentioned yesterday from The New York Times. now— had the chance to read through the study from, from Harvard. And basically what it found is that cops are less likely to shoot white people than black people by a factor of about, about 20%. They're more likely to use increased levels of, of force, including handcuffing and pushing people against walls, on black people. And the reason for that, as Larry Elder said, black talk show host, and he's right about this, and you can talk to cops about this, when you're in a high crime area that's heavily minority, when you're dealing with a suspect— you are typically going to act to escalate the amount of force that you use so that it doesn't gradually escalate. You actually want to act with an overwhelming amount of force at the very beginning so that there's no misinterpretation, that, that, that things are not going to gradually escalate. We're not going to argue about this. I'm grabbing you. I'm, I'm the boss. I'm the alpha in this situation. And so that happens a lot. People refuse to acknowledge the realities that cops face on the street. And so what the real agenda of the left is, is to break down law and order. And the idea is that you're not subject to the law if you're of a particular race. I mean, this is really the breakdown of America. So the Marxist left, just to to do a a quick bit of history here, the Marxist left always believed that there would be class warfare and that class warfare would end up tearing down the existing capitalist system. This explains why the left hates the police, so this is where I'm going with this. The reason the left hate the police is that originally they thought, okay, well, there are these, these policing structures and they enforce the current law in the books, and the current law in the books is capitalist law, so we don't like the police. But it turns out there hasn't been a class revolution. It turns out that poor people are not interested in doing the Bernie Sanders thing and rushing Bill Gates' house and tearing his house apart. But what the left hit on was, okay, we don't have to use class groups. We can use racial groups for this instead. We can put race against race. We can use natural tribalism to tear down the system. So we'll put black people against white people. We'll put black people against law enforcement. And we'll suggest the entire system has to be torn down around our ears, Samson-like, in order to achieve uh, the the building of a new system. And this is what you're about to hear. So we're going to play through a lot of the audio that you've been hearing from a lot of the major media figures on the left, a lot of the Black Lives Matter people. The argument that they're basically making, their new argument, the one that they care about, is that the police ought not to be involved at all in policing minority communities. That's the, In essence, that's what they want. When you ask what, what does Black Lives Matter want, they don't want anything except for less cops. Because when they say they want less black people in prison, there's a very simple way to do that. Have less black people commit crimes. It's the easiest way to have less black people in prison. And when they say that they want less police brutality, there's an easier way to do that. And that is, have less crime in your areas, less confrontations with the cops, less people who are going fewer people, rather, who are going to attack the cops and con- confront the cops, and make sure that there are enough cops in the neighborhood. Cops have to act more aggressively when they're understaffed. Right? For, for in, in major cities, there's like one cop for every 200, 300 people. That means the only reason that there's any sort of law and order at all is because people have a fear factor of the cops. You staff up the cops, you don't have to use those sorts of measures as much anymore, but they don't want to do any of that. What they really want to do is tear down the cops, tear down the existing system, say the ex- entire system is racist. It's why they don't target individual cops. Notice, the left only target cop situations that are controversial. Right? They only target cop situations that are controversial. It's really interesting. Walter Scott was shot, black guy, was shot in South Carolina. And this is a headline for like a day and a half. There's a headline for like a day and a half. Why? Because people like me, we looked at and we said, this is bad, right? That's a bad shoot. Put that guy in jail. Put that cop in jail. We all agreed there was evidence. It was a bad shoot. The left doesn't like those cases. The left falsely wants to generate racial controversy so that they can claim that people like you, people like me, we don't care about black people, and that's because we're victims of this. We're part of this systemically racist system, and that entire system has to be torn down in order to build a new reality. That's the agenda. So they set up these false racial conflagrations when we all agree racism is bad we all agree brutality is bad they set up these false racial situations these false racial confrontations where there really are two sides of the story at the beginning and then later it usually turns out there's one side and it's not the side they want they pick those situations to to focus in on because they need the controversy because the controversy allows them to label the entire system racist because if they if they were to pick the the ones that are non-controversial it proves the system isn't racist, right? Walter Scott proved the system was not racist. We all condemned the, the shooter in Walter Scott, the police officer in Walter Scott. Instead, they'll pick Michael Brown because then when we say, no, we need more evidence, they say, ah, you're racist. You're racist. That's, that's what they're looking for. Okay, so Mark Lamont Hill is a professor at Morehouse University, historically black college. He's also a CNN contributor. Listen to what Mark Lamont Hill had to say about black people and racism. This is an amazing statement what you're about to hear.
2: Wow there's so many things to say that first of all and by the way Black Lives Matter and the movement for Black Lives this morning issued a pledge which I actually tweeted out today Mm -hmm. calling for justice calling for peace and calling for a togetherness at a moment where we're attempting to be divided so I think it's really important to Uh, to say that the Black Lives Matter movement is racist is bizarre to me not just because black people don't have the institutional power to be racist or to deploy racism Mm -hmm. but because the movement is called for justice, it's called for demilitarization it's called for nonviolence. and because a few people enter that space and kind of colonize that space and do something other than what the movement is about doesn't mean the movement is wrong. In the same way the Tea Party movement called for fiscal responsibility. Mm. But there are racists at the rallies. I've been to some of the Tea Party rallies, there are racists there. But I wouldn't say the Tea Party is a racist movement as such. I would say that there are people we, we can, who invade it and divert the movement. So, so and that's I've, t- I've
0: actually agreed with the basic premise that you can't slur the entire Black Lives Matter movement with violence of some of the members. Right, I've said this on, on this show. But you'll notice, he slides in a line there and it just every sort of glosses over it. He slides in a line there where he says blacks are incapable of racism because they don't have power. Right? This is an insidious, insidious perspective. The idea is that you can only be labeled a racist if you have power. Now, number one, obviously, black people in America have an enormous amount of power. The president of the United States is black. The attorney general of the United States is black. Right? The, 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 the chief law enforcement officer of the United States and the commander in chief are both black. So the idea that blacks are completely de- deprived of power in the inner cities, in, like Baltimore— the majority of the police force is black, the city council is black, the mayor is black, the police chief is black, the DA is black, right? So, so this idea that black people don't have power, number one, is not true. But number two, the idea that the color of your skin determines, one, the amount of power that you have in American society, and two, that you are incapable of racism, this sets up a moral double standard that is impossible to overcome. I'll explain more about that if you go and you subscribe right now at Daily Wire. We're at we're at a time with our 15-minute limit. Go to dailywire.com and you can check out the rest of the show. You can download it at iTunes or SoundCloud as well, and there's plenty more to talk about because we're going to go through all of the leftist perspectives on Dallas and why what they're really arguing for is the wholesale collapse of policing in the inner cities and really of, of Western society as a whole, because it's predicated on notions the left doesn't like. We'll talk about all of that. And, uh, and stuff, that I, stuff that I like and stuff that I hate is going to be pretty epic today, so you're going to want to stick around for that. Okay, so before I go any further, I have to mention our friends at Ring.com. So I have gotten a free Ring device from people at, at Ring.com. This is the coolest device ever. So basically, the way that this works is you stick this near your door, and it, it shows you the home entrance with a wide-angled HD video, And it has a motion detector, so it immediately lights up as soon as somebody approaches. You can see who's at your front door, and then it shoots the video to your phone, to your computer, so you don't even have to be home to tell who's at your front door and who's messing around. Around your house, right? For me, that's great because I tend to be paranoid about home security because of what I do for a living. My wife tends to be paranoid about home security because she's paranoid about home security. Ring.com is fantastic, and the Ring is really great. It's so good that I actually went and, on my own volition, bought – like, I get stuff for free from them because they advertise with us. I actually went and I bought another device because I think they do such a good job. There's a home burglary here in the United States every 13 seconds, and most happen in broad daylight, and there's usually a door knock. Usually somebody knocks on the door to see if somebody's home, and then they break in. That's, that's usually how these things happen. And the video doorbell stops burglaries before they happen because you can see and speak to anyone approaching your front door. So they don't have to know that you're not home, right? They approach, your phone rings, you pick up, and you say, hey, yeah, what are you doing at the front door? And then they say, okay, well, the house is occupied. I'm not going to go in there and rob it. So the kit, they have this thing called the Ring of Security Kit that they're selling now. It's a Ring video doorbell for the front door and a Ring stick-up cam and the wireless weatherproof HD camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property as well. And so as I say, it's already helping me. It's already helping my family. I think you should grab one of these too. If you want the lowest price anywhere, you go to ring.com Ben. That's ring.com Ben and join the hundreds of thousands of people, including me, who now protect their home with Ring. And if you go there, by the way, you get $50 off. So ring.com slash Ben. That's a pretty good deal because it isn't that expensive to start. Ring.com slash Ben. Okay. So you've got Mark Lamont Hill saying black people are incapable of racism. They're just not capable of racism. What the left is doing here is they are mashing up the two things I talked about, a Marxist view of the universe and a racial view of the universe, right? They're mashing the two up. So Marxism is all about the idea that there's the powerful in society and the powerless. And the powerless are incapable of sin. It's only the powerful who are capable of sin because they're the ones who are, who are in power, right? And so we have to overthrow them in order to come to this beautiful new universe where everyone shares the power equally. And they're mashing that up with the race issue. So they're saying the powerless are the black people. The black people, therefore, are incapable of sin. They're incapable of racism. And so we can never accuse them of being racist. We can never hold them to an equal standard. Now, this is really nefarious, The fact is that polls show that a plurality of black people think blacks are the most racist group in America, a plurality of black people. More black people think that blacks are a majority racist group then think that white people are a majority racist group in the United States. It's a Rasmussen poll from 2013. So the idea that black people can't be racist, look, it's obviously untrue. We just had a black racist murder six, five cops in, in Dallas and wound, another, and, wound another, and wound another six, right? So the idea that there are no black racist people is insane, but this is a way of avoiding the argument entirely. Now, we don't have to argue on similar terms. This is identity politics at its finest because I hold the principle racism is bad. You hold the principle racism is bad, but you will not condemn it depending on who does it. I'll say that it's racist when when Donald Trump, who's supposedly on my side of the aisle, he's really not, but he supposedly is, when he says Mexican judges are incapable of, of judging cases, I'll say that's racist. But you're saying, Mark Lamont Hill, that when somebody's on your side, there's a black guy on your side, he's incapable of racism because black people don't hold power. That's such a nasty point of view. Sin affects all of us equally. We're all equally capable of sin, the poor and the rich. Everyone is equally capable of sin. The minute you say people are not capable of sin because of the amount of power that they wield in a society, or, more, or even worse, because of the color of their skin that we can't hold people accountable for their individual sins, this is how you end up with evil really thriving, really thriving in a major way. Because now you're standing up for the group over the individual. You're now standing up for color of skin over individual responsibility. That's nasty stuff, right? I mean, that's... Honestly, like, you take that to its logical extreme, and that's Aryan people are incapable of committing sins. It's the underclass that's committing all the sins. And so if Aryan people kill people in the underclass, they kill the, the, the subhumans, then that's okay, because Aryans are Aryans, and they're not, they don't hold the real power. The Jews hold the real power, right? I mean, this is, that's, you get in a really nasty territory. The minute you say that one particular group is not capable of a sin because of who they are, not because of what they do, really, really ugly stuff. But all of this, as I say, is cover for another agenda. So Molina Abdullah who is apparently one of my favorite people. She said, I'm a member of the KKK, which is weird to me, because last I checked, ain't big on the Jews. But Melina Abdullah, a uh, professor at Cal State L.A., she was one of the people who was ginning up uh, all of the riots when I, when I was there, and then she and her, her university were talking about how I never should have been allowed to come. Melina Abdullah uh, was, was on the TVs, and she was talking about the police, and listen to how she talks about the cops.
1: Last week, four black men were killed at the hands of the police. We know about Alton Sterling and Philando Castile because we have really good video. But there was also a murder in New York. There was another murder in Houston. All in the span of one week. So the black community is been, is, and has been under the assault, under kind of the occupation of police who are operating as an occupying force rather than a force that is supposed to protect and. Serve all of the people.
0: Okay, so it's an occupying force now. It's an occupying force, as opposed to they're actually policing crime. Now, if you talk to law abiding members of the black community, they'll tell you, we need more cops here. We need more cops here. But it's an occupying force. And you know, that sort of language is dangerous because once you start saying that somebody's an occupying force, This is the same sort of language Palestinians use about Jews. They're occupiers. The only way to expel the occupiers, if it comes to violence, then it comes to violence. I mean, it's it's really dicey language that she's using here. And when when she says—what's amazing, you'll notice, she says that four black men were killed by the cops last week, right? Four black—you only heard two, right? The two are the the ones that are national, the Philando Castile shooting in Minnesota and the Alton Sterling shooting in Louisiana. By the way, they're now claiming the Alton Sterling shooting— that the butt of his gun was visible outside his pocket and he was reaching for it. So that may have been a good shoot. Philando Castile, we still don't know the circumstances. We just saw the aftermath. But she says four were killed. You haven't heard of the other two. Why haven't you heard of the other two? Because my understanding is in the other two, these people, in one case, a guy broke into the house of a a cop and the cop shot him. And in the other case, the guy pulled the gun on a cop and the cop shot him. But she's lumping this all together. So anytime a black person gets killed by the cops, again, this is the same ideology as Mark Lamont Hill. Black people can't be sinning because they're powerless. It can't be that they're confronting cops and doing bad things. They can't be committing crimes because they're powerless. And once you've exempted people from the normal rules of human society and behavior, you shouldn't be surprised when people don't abide by the rules of normal human society and behavior. You're holding one side to account, but you're telling the other side, and I'm talking about cops and criminals here, You're, you're, you're telling the cops that they have to be held to a standard that doesn't exist anywhere on the planet. Right. A standard that, that not even of evidence, a standard of feelings. And you're telling the other side, criminals who happen to be of minority descent, that if you're of minority descent, you're a criminal, you're not actually a criminal. So, you know, this continues uh, along these lines. Jessica Disu is a Black Lives Matter activist, and she takes this to its logical conclusion. Here is here's this Black Lives Matter activist. I think this is on Fox News last night talking about Black Lives Matter.
1: What I've been hearing here, this yeah, is the ahead. reason why our young people are hopeless in America. Our young people are hopeless because you have all these adults here who are not listening to our young people. They talk about black-on-black black crime in Chicago. I'm from Chicago. My organizing and activism has been on intra community intra-community violence. We understand like what she was talking about. How violence is, we've got the point. What I'm trying to say is here's We need to abolish the police, period. And this, abolish the police? Demilitarize the police, disarm the police, <laughs> and we need to come up with community community solutions for transformative justice. What we are seeing with all these cases, what we are seeing, we can, can we all agree that a loss of a life is tragic? Can we all agree on that? Can, 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 can we all agree? I'm asking, let me, I have a point here. No, just, I have just, keep going. I'm just I've been peaceful since I've been here, but I need to speak because I came here from Chicago to speak. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we all can agree that the loss of a life is tragedy. We all can agree that excessive force and extrajudicial extra judicial killings by law enforcement needs to be stopped. People, black, white, who's going to protect the community if we abolish the police. We need to come up with community solutions. There the police, the, the police, police force in this that country that began as politics. slave yeah. patrol.
0: OK, the police force in this country began as slave patrol. No, the police force in this country existed in places where there were no slaves. It existed in the north. There were bad police forces, obviously. There were, of course, bad police forces. One of the things that the the Southerners did and Democrats, Southern Democrats did, is they basically expelled federal officers from Southern land after the Civil War, even though there was an attempt— there there were a bunch of black Congress people, by the way, who were elected to Congress right in the aftermath of the Civil War, and then all those reverses were— there were a bunch of racial reverses thanks to the Democrats that that she presumably votes for. But in any case, you know, she's saying abolish the police— there is no policy geared toward killing black people faster than abolishing the police. And this is, this is the thing about the left and the right. Give everybody—I'm coming to the point in my life where I'm, I'm starting to feel like, let's just give everybody what they wish for. Let's just give everybody what they wish for. The thing is that I, I, I don't want to see people killed, so I don't want to give her what she wishes for. But let's do a thought experiment for a second. What I wish for is a law enforcement community that is empowered to stop crime, and the laws that are on the books are only about people hurting each other. That's my, that's, that's my basic view of how law enforcement and, and community should work. Right? The view of the left is abolish the police. Okay, so let's say we do that. You think crime is going to go up or is it going to go down? And, if it does, and by the way, the reason that you have gang warfare is because there is a form of law, but it's the law of the street. Right? If somebody kills somebody from your gang, somebody from your gang goes and kills somebody from their gang. There's a law of the street that applies. There are places in the world where there's no effective police force. Go look look at places in Mexico. There are places in Mexico where there's no effective police force. And the death rate is extraordinarily high, higher than it is in places in Afghanistan. What she says when she says abolish the police, that is the logical extension. Abolish civil society so we can create a new society, a community society. And what's going to happen when they create this community society? Somebody's going to have to be in charge. And there's going to be a new police force, but it's going to be run by her. Right, that's what we're talking about, because somehow somebody's going to have to ensure that there's some semblance of law and order. Right? This kind of bizarre view that we're all going to get together in a room and decide to be nice to each other. That's not how life works. But this is what they want. They want to tear down society. So the ideal is get rid of the police, get rid of the law, push all those people out, blame the cops, say that black people aren't subject to the same rules of morality as other people, as Mark Lamont Hill apparently says. And then we'll create a new society that new society will be a communal society it'll be a bernie sanders communal society where we all decide on the police force except in the end communal societies always end up devolving into stalin at the top representing the quote unquote community and killing everybody who dissents that's that's how these things always end up because somebody's always in control and so if the, if it's not if the people in control aren't subject to law if it's just subject to the whims of the quote unquote community you got a problem on your hands so you know th- this, this sort of stuff is becoming common, unfortunately, this sort of rhetoric, and, and their and the refusal to even recognize basic reality. So on CNN, there was a panel, and one of the members of the panel was asked about whether black people are prone to criminality. Black people are not prone to criminality because of quote-unquote race. Okay? It's not black people any more than white people or Hispanic people. The color of your skin doesn't determine your criminality. It is statistically true that blacks in America commit a disproportionate share of crime doesn't mean the individual black person is more prone to criminality than the individual white person, of course. But what it does mean is that statistically speaking, statistically speaking, blacks as a share of the population commit multiple times more crime than whites do, than Hispanics do, certainly than Asians do. And so that was basically what was said on CNN. But again, you're not allowed to say true things on on mainstream television
2: there is considerable evidence of racism in Ferguson so it, it isn't true that, that, that there was no evidence of racism there were racist emails racist phone calls racist practices and He's drugs. saying in this a specific couple, incident no but no let me yes, finish. there you. were there three but, emails i believe that were uh, racist correct but harry there's only three 40 emails harry there's only like 100 it doesn't matter but no, harry it, hold on hold on hold guys guys harry's on national tv and just said that black people are prone to come out i want not be able to respond to that okay well they are but you think black people are prone to criminality? The statistics no, here show no, You this. don't mean to say that. I'm going to give you a chance to correct me. No, you you this, don't mean that black what people is are prone this to criminality. What is this saying? I know. I don't know what that says, right. but I know... I, the chief can back me up because he's coming he's not, out He's not going to stay on national TV and say black people are prone to criminality. I either. am telling well, you well, 75% I'm, I'm, I'm of all you shootings just don't know are pl- blacks. Pl- I'm hoping you just don't know... 75% of pl- shootings What you're doing is you're interpreting something else I'm saying into your narrative. That's what you do. I'm just trying to talk. Mark, hold on one second. Hold I think you just Gee, don't approve of like First of Gee, all, I'm not going the point to blacks uh, plunging to crime because I don't believe it and it's not true. That's the of course first It's not true. It's racist. The second thing I have a slight difference it is in society. Society. to say that no. black people the are plunged That's not what I said. I said 75% <laughs> of the shootings that occur in New York City are done by blacks. All right. I and you keep on talking about this disproportionate okay, amount of whites and blacks in New Because it is disproportionate. And this is why. No, it's not. All it right. is, yeah, by the permissioners. Right, how about we don't the yell? Best, and, and yeah, music. that's exactly what I'm going to say. All right. Okay. These, this is a conversation that is not always easy to have. You're going to have clashes of perspective, but we all know this, all right? If you do not have this conversation the right way, you do not move forward. You can discuss uh, shut up, the Chris difference. Cuomo. No one cares about you.
0: You're, you're obnoxious. Your ridiculous, Dr. Oz routine. Okay, so, so, what the guy says first of all, he, as I said. Black people are not prone to criminality, but he's, But that's Mark Lamont Hill throwing that line on this guy, right? It's not, you're not saying black people are prone to criminality when you say, statistically speaking, blacks commit a disproportionate share of crimes. What you're saying is that blacks commit a disproportionate share of crimes, and that there can be multiple factors for that. I don't think one of those factors is skin color, because I don't think skin color magically makes people better or worse, as Mark Lamont Hill does. Right? Mark Lamont Hill thinks black skin color makes you a better person, because you can't be capable of racism. And it continues along, Michael Eric Dyson is a professor at Georgetown. It's amazing, you have to be a professor at a major university to be as stupid as some of these people. Michael Eric Dyson is on CNN, and he says that Obama's going to visit Dallas to speak, he's doing it probably right now, speaking about the cops, and here's what he says about Barack Obama visiting.
2: Well, I would have preferred him go to Louisiana, then on to Minnesota, then end in Dallas, because he could truly bring, as uh, Professor Brinkley talked about it, healing to the nation. He's got to acknowledge the lethal and ferocious assault upon that police department there in Dallas. And he's got to acknowledge the lethal and ferocious assault upon black men's and women's lives in America. And he's got to acknowledge both at the same time. And can he can do it right that- Let we'll stop
0: right there. Notice the moral equivalence that Michael Eric Dyson is drawing there. The lethal and ferocious assault on the police force is the same as the lethal and ferocious assault on black people in Dallas. A black man who hated white cops went with purpose, malice aforethought, and shot and murdered parents of children, women, men, cops, shot them, killed them. Knowing what he was doing, they didn't do anything. He is now equating the shootings of black people in the United States by the cops with that sort of purposeful malice aforethought. Okay, that's insane. That's insane. This is a country of 40 million black people, 40 million black people. You know how many "quote-unquote" unarmed black people were shot in the United States last year? 36, 36, and a huge number of those were people who attacked cops and tried to take guns off to cops, or att- or resisted arrest. I mean, or, or did something dangerous. The number of unarmed black people who were wrongfully shot in the United States is in single digits, and he's equating that. He's equating that to these people going out and this guy going out and shooting cops purposefully? You're ascribing that sort of KKK racism to the cops, and then you expect the cops to police communities and do their jobs? You expect this country to hold together when you're accusing its law enforcement community of this nonsense? And th- This sort of stuff is, is really despicable, really despicable. But again, when you're when you're brought up in the notion that American society is inherently racist, when you believe Barack Obama's sick routine— that the, the, the racism is part of our DNA. Not that racism is part of our history and we fought hard to overcome it, but that it's part of our DNA. It's unalterable. We can't change it in any real way. And that it's systemic. That it's deep-rooted and deep-seated and it's not going away. Right? We've gotten better, but, we're not, but we always have 10% more to go. When you believe that, You end up in this perverse situation where the only real solution, if you believe that, the only real solution is the solution to disband the cops, right? If the police are the KKK, the only solution is to disband the police. You end up back where the the crazy lady said we should end up, right? No cops anywhere. And that, again, does not help black people. And all other solutions have been ruled off the table by the left. So Whoopi Goldberg, with with her incredible level of personal genius, Whoopi Goldberg was talking yesterday about... Raising children. So one of the things people say is one of the reasons for a disproportionate crime rate in the black community is because there are single single mothers in the black community who are incapable of raising young boys, because there's no fathers in the black community, because there's a culture that disdains education in parts of the black community, because there's a culture of, of, of gang violence and crime that people grow up in. There's a culture of government dependency that it's very difficult to overcome. And so Whoopi Goldberg says, no, we can't talk about any of those things. We only have to—the the real reason that for disparity in America must be racism. It can't be any of these other factors that, by the way, ap- apply exactly the same to white people who grew up in single-mother homes and are parts of gangs. There are poor white people in America, too, lots of them. More poor white people in America than poor black people in America, by a long shot, actually. But Whoopi Goldberg says we can't talk about any of those other issues. Or, guess what? You're a racist. Here we go. Don't tell us how to raise our children. So,
3: telling us, particularly black folks and particularly black parents, that we need to teach our children better because they're, uh, they're probably going to be killed by each other, is not the way to do this. Because we already know what we need to say to our children. This has been going on a very long time. But it doesn't help if you stir the pot, Rudy. Well, he's not the Safe. only one. There's no, I, I, he's not the only scurry. one, but, but, but he's the one I'm talking to yeah. now. Yeah. Along with uh, <clears throat> Mr. Bratton, you know, to tell us to take a, a page out of the NAACP's N-double-A. playbook is kind of, it's kind of not the thing you want to say. I would say you first. None of the people who were shot <clears throat> not the police officers, not the people who were shot over the weekend. None of them were disrespecting the police. But that, so telling us to be nicer, to be quieter, is not going to work. You
0: first, I say. Be respectful. Understand why people are upset. Okay, d- don't be n- nicer to the cops. Isn't going to work? It isn't? Alton Sterling physically resisted the cops. In Louisiana, that's on the tape. Right? The, the idea that, the, and, and the idea that... If you don't want to, I don't understand why this is even mildly controversial. If you don't want run-ins with cops, be in a place where there are less crimes. This is just basic common sense. But the idea that we can't tell—again, that only when they say they want a conversation, the left, when the when the racial left says they want a conversation, what they really want is a monologue. They want to yell at you and they want their feelings legitimized. You know, when I talk to my wife, we'll have conversations where she's upset sometimes, and we have a rule in these conversations, which by the way you should apply to your relationships and marriage. It's, It's a very useful rule. Men have a tendency to listen to what their wives are saying, and then say, okay, let's solve the problem. Because men, by nature, tend to be problem solvers. Let me grab a hammer and and drive a nail. Like, let let me do something to fix this. So women sometimes just wanna moan about what's going on in their lives. So we have a rule, and the rule is that before each conversation that starts like this, where she's gonna complain about something, I say, okay, sweetheart, do you wanna just complain about this? Or do you want me to, like, try and fix it? Because if I try to fix it, then sometimes you get upset, right? Because you just want me to hear what you're saying. You just want me to hear your feelings. What we're talking about racially i think one of the biggest disconnects here is that the left pretend that they want solutions and they don't they just want to complain about the problem because they gain votes and they gain credibility and it's not politically dangerous to talk about solutions talking about solutions is politically dangerous because those solutions are almost always politically unpalatable solutions like get married before you have children solutions like Raise your children not to join gangs and become involved in criminal activity. Solutions like there need to be more cops in your community, not fewer cops in your community to enforce the law. Solutions like your community has to cooperate with the cops to turn in criminals rather than protecting criminals because they happen to be members of your family or people that you know. These are actual solutions that would solve the problem. But those solutions are all politically unpalatable. So instead what you'll get is politicians and commentators and everybody just saying, all the feelings have to be looked at. All the feelings have to be just spilled out onto the table. And you say, okay, well, but those feelings are actually an obstacle to the solution because not all feelings are justified. Because when you say that you hate the cops or when you say that the cops are all racist, you're actually creating an obstacle now. Because if you say all cops are racist and I say the solution is more cops in your community— and you don't have any evidence to say they're racist, you just feel that way, we can't come to a conclusion because, according to you, I'm now saying there should be more racists in your community. Not all feelings are justified. Do you want a solution or do you want to bitch about the problem? Do you want a solution or do you want to, or do you want to just complain? Do you want to just talk about how America is racist? And I have a feeling that most people in America who are part of this debate just want to talk about how America is racist or gain moral credibility points like Newt Gingrich and Marco Rubio for saying America's racist. Ooh, now they understand the black man in America because they've said that. Well, it's not a matter of black and white. It's a matter of right and wrong. You know, why is it that, that criminality, excessive force, wrong killings, why shouldn't we have the same standard for, for everybody on this stuff? And the answer is because the left doesn't want the same standard for everybody. They're using race as a club to tear down the system. They couldn't use class, so now they're going to use race as a club to tear down the system. That's what Mark Lamont Hill is doing that's what Melina Abdul is doing. That's what Michael Eric Dyson is doing. That's what Whoopi Goldberg is doing, even though she does, she's not smart enough to acknowledge that's what she's doing, but that's what she's doing. Okay, so meanwhile, there's still a presidential race on. There's a new poll out today, and Republicans are all hot and bothered over this thing. They're saying that it's, it's amazing. Look at this. Donald Trump is only down three points. There's another way to read that poll, okay? In the last four weeks, we have had the biggest single terror attack since 9-11 on American soil. We've had an anti-cop massacre in Dallas, to which Hillary Clinton responded wrongly. We've had Brexit, right the British leaving the EU. And we've had Hillary Clinton being specifically called out for criminal conduct by the FBI. And Donald Trump is still down three. Could you possibly have a better news cycle for Donald Trump and he's still down three? And I know what you people expect, gang. I don't know if you expect him to just leap to the moon at some point. But when all of the, all of the factual scenarios, tend, when, when the news cycle tends to break politically in your favor, forget about good or bad. A lot of terrible things are happening, obviously. But when the news cycle breaks in your favor and you can't make real hay out of it, when your deficit goes from six points to three, Mitt Romney would have been up at ten by this point. Ten. Okay, not three. Ten. It would be a disaster for the Democrats by this point. But it isn't because we have an incompetent candidate that said it's time for a little bit you know we haven't done it in a few days because all the news has been very serious but it's time for a little bit of good trump bad trump so we'll start with good trump so donald trump on this particular police issue has actually been quite good he's been very very good on this issue uh, as good as donald trump is capable of being without hurting his brain so donald trump was talking about law and order he says i'm the law and order candidate by the way i've been saying i personally have been saying for literally years that if Republicans want to win in blue states, they need to start talking about crime. Rudy Giuliani is mayor of New York City because of crime. Richard Reardon was mayor of Los Angeles because of crime rates. Ronald Reagan in 1980, people ignore this. One of the reasons he became president was to fight national crime. So Trump is doing that now, smart. So here is Donald Trump talking about how he's the law and order candidate.
2: I am the law and order candidate. Clinton, on the other hand, is weak, ineffective, pandering, and as proven by her recent email scandal, which was an embarrassment not only to her, but to the entire nation as a whole, she's either a liar or grossly incompetent, one or the other. Very simple.
0: Okay, why wasn't he doing this for two weeks? Why was he talking about like weird Jewish star memes and and all the other nonsense he's been talking about? But this is good Trump. So if Trump did this all the way to the convention, he'd be in solid shape, he'd be in good shape. And Trump continues along these lines. He says, look, every kid in America should be able to securely, excuse me, walk the streets. And this is exactly right.
2: Every kid in America should be able to securely walk the streets in their own neighborhood without harm. Everyone will be protected equally and treated justly without prejudice. We will be tough, we will be smart, we will be fair, and we will protect all Americans.
0: Okay, that's good stuff, that's good stuff. And Hillary Clinton doesn't say that stuff, she just says white people need to be more considerate. White people, so a black guy shoots 11 cops, and the problem is white people, obviously, clearly and then it was time for a little bit of you guessed it bad trump because it's today ending and why so here's donald trump explaining what he's going to do at the republican national convention and that is he's going to be donald trump
2: the big question is with the republican national convention coming up am i going to use a teleprompter
4: or not mm.
2: and i don't know if it's ever been done without essentially a teleprompter is,
0: is that a game time decision
2: No, I would say I'll make a decision at some time, maybe a week before. But Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to do it, actually, without a teleprompter.
0: Oh, boy. And Donald Trump without a teleprompter at the Republican National Convention. I mean, why doesn't he just pour gasoline on himself and set himself on fire right now? Like, just finish it. I mean, this is like, this is, that is crazy talk. That's crazy talk. So you wonder why people are a little nervous about Donald Trump. There, there. That's the reason people are a little nervous about Donald Trump. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that we're doing surprise endings this week. So, um, because I'm hoping for a surprise ending at the convention, but I'm going to be sadly disappointed. So, surprise ending this week. So, Planet of the Apes. Everybody knows the surprise ending at the end of Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes. If you don't, it's because you're culturally illiterate. But I'll assume you are for purposes of this particular this particular segment. Planet of the Apes is actually a really good movie. The original, written by Rod Serling, the guy behind Twilight Zone. The concept is great. The script is terrific. Uh, the music is phenomenal. Jerry Goldsmith wrote the score to this film, and he wrote it in Arnold Schoenberg's 12-tone style. The way the 12-tone works, basically, is that if you use... There are 12 tones in a scale, including the half-steps. If you use any tone in the 12 tones, you now have to use the other 11 before you can go back to the original tone. Right, This entire score... Is written in Schoenberg twelve tone style, and it gives it a really weird, creepy feel. The score is brilliant; it's brilliant, and then the movie itself is really compelling, and it, it's a very, it's a very good movie. And the ending is, of course, blah. I mean, the, the the first time I saw this, I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine. The first time I saw this, I was just jaw on the floor. The ending to this film. Okay, so here's the the preview for those who have never seen the original Planet of the Apes. what you're about to see is from the year's most unusual and important motion picture based on a novel by the author of Bridge on the River Kwai. Discover Planet of the Apes.
2: A civilization where humans run wild in the jungles. The superior beings are apes.
0: Okay, so we can stop it there. This movie is creepy. As all- uh, this movie is creepy as all hell. It's a super creepy movie, and the and the and again the the script is terrific. Uh, and the music is fantastic. It, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to the music and you're getting creeped out, that's because it's, it's a really good score. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So naturally, we're now back in the cycle where celebrities decide that they have to get involved in politics. So you've got WNBA players, and apparently they don Black Lives Matter shirts at one of their games. First of all, I'm not sure how anybody knew about that because I don't know who goes to WNBA games. I mean, I thought that they were probably the only people there. It was like them, their immediate families. Um, but apparently there were some cops there, and the cops walked out. Which they should, because the slander of Black Lives Matter is the implication. The implication It's so stupid. It's such a dumb conversation. People say, Black Lives Matter isn't racist. Okay, it's not racist to just say Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, White Lives Matter. Duh. What's racist is the implication that there are a bunch of people out here like me who think Black Lives don't matter. Of course Black Lives Matter. It's like saying that there's no Sky is Blue movement. There's no White Lives Matter movement. Right, but the, for the same reason that if we made a shirt that said babies' lives matter, the pro-choice movement would fully understand that we're ripping on abortion. When you say black lives matter, what they're saying really is that cops don't think black lives matter. That's really what they're saying there. And so the cops walked out. And it, it's just, I don't understand why every aspect of American life has to be filled with politics. And this is coming from somebody who's obsessed with politics. Okay, finally, the last thing I hate for the day. So this 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 idiot 14-year-old kid. And the, this kid is, you know, th- there there's... This whole group of people on the left who indoctrinate their children and then celebrate when their kids preach back to them all the things that they've taught to them. So there's this 14-year-old kid named Royce Mann. He participated in a poetry slam at his private school in Atlanta, Georgia. First of all, it's a private school, so I'm going to go with ain't exactly impoverished. He participates in a poetry slam. Second indicator it's not exactly impoverished, a poetry slam. Also indicated that the school is doing a terrible job. No one should ever be involved in a poetry slam. That should never happen, for any reason. Poetry slams are created by the devil, and should never be uh, should never be allowed into the public square. You know, it's like it's like BDSM. You want to do it on your own time, enjoy yourself, but don't please don't bring it into public. Okay, so Royce Mann is a 14-year-old, and he just trots out this routine about white privilege and of course he gets cheered for this right the way the, the white kid gets cheered for saying that he's privileged that's the way this works so if you just go out there and say oh yes everything that has happened in my life is because I'm white everybody, yay you're a genius yay whereas if you're actually a genius and you did something genius if you like invented a new product everybody would go oh that's nice right? but, but you like if you actually invented a scientific breakthrough everybody would go oh that's kind of cool But if you go out there and you say, well, you know, I'm privileged, and I know because I'm a child, and children have all the wisdom of the earth. Nah, kids are dumb. I mean, if kids were smart, they'd run the world, and if kids did run the world, they'd all be bombing each other by age two. I mean, legitimately, legitimately, two-year-olds in a room with guns. No one survived. So here's this 14-year-old kid. Here's this 14-year-old kid doing his white boy privilege poetry slam. Ugh.
4: white boy privilege. Dear women, I'm sorry. Dear black people, I'm sorry.
0: Dear Asian
4: Americans, dear Native Americans, dear immigrants who come here seeking a better life, I'm sorry. Dear everyone who isn't a middle or upper class white boy, I'm sorry. I have started life at the top of a ladder while you were born on the first drum. I say now that I would change places with you in an instant, but if given the opportunity, would I? Probably not, because to be honest, being privileged is awesome. I'm not saying that you and me on different rungs of the ladder is how I want it to stay. I'm not saying that any part of me has for a moment even liked it that way. I'm just saying that I love being privileged and I'm not ready to give that away. I love it because I can say, and not one of you is attributing that to the fact that everyone with of my skin color has a dirty mouth. Mm. I love it because I don't have to spend an hour every morning putting on makeup to meet other people's standards. I love it because I can worry about what kind of food is on my plate instead of whether or not there will be food on my plate. Mm. I love it because when okay, I see Okay, and then a he goes along officer, these
0: lines. Uh, <laughs> okay, let me explain something to you, stupid 14-year-old child. Everyone in life, everyone is born in a different circumstance. All the people are born in different circumstances. Yes, some of those are better. Yes, some of those are worse. But if you don't have equal rules that apply to everyone, it matters where you end up in life and what direction you're going, not where you started. If you think that where you started is where you end up, then you're living in a tyranny. If you think that where you started should not determine where you end up, then you're in favor of freedom and you should get out of the way instead of just wandering around talking about how privilege is an unalterable but an unalterable lack of privilege is an unalterable burden that you have to, that you can't overcome. You're just stuck. No matter if, if you're born without privilege, then you're just stuck. Of course, people are born with different privileges. They're born with two parents instead of one parent. They're born rich instead of poor. They're born smart instead of stupid. Like, this happens. That doesn't mean that the solution to that is to simply apologize for your privilege and then suggest that that privilege is unalterable and you're stuck where you are. Again, that's part of the whole tear down the entire system routine. Because if you're stuck where you are, that's unfair. We have to tear down the entire system. And by the way, I don't attribute the, ki- the, the kid saying the F word to the fact that, he has, uh, that that he's white. I don't attribute black people saying the F word to the fact that they're black. I attribute people who are 14 years old saying the F word to the fact that they have crappy parents. That's what I attribute that to. Regardless, And crappy teachers who are sitting there just nodding along. It's a, how about, again... Equal standards applied to everyone. That doesn't mean we all finish up in the same place. It doesn't even mean that we all have equal opportunity, so to speak, because the fact is that we don't. I don't have an equal opportunity to play in the NBA. Number one, I have no outside jump shot. Number two, I can't exactly post up. I'm 5'9". Right? So, but that doesn't mean that the rules don't apply to everyone equally, and what you make of those rules is up to you. It's your job to make sure that you succeed in life. It's, it's the government's job to make sure that everyone else gets out of your way. It's not the government's job to correct what Thomas Sowell calls cosmic imbalances, is that there's no quest for cosmic justice inherent in life. And sitting there complaining about how you're born, welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. Nobody, nobody, nobody begged to be born. We, none of us had a choice in that. And nobody begs to die, or very few people do. We don't have a choice in that either. What we do between those two points, that's up to you in a free society. And you should aim for the kind of society where that is up to you, not the kind of society where your circumstances is changed by outside forces beyond your control or where you get to victimize your neighbor in order to change your own circumstance. We'll talk more about that. I'm sure we'll talk about President Obama's address. He's speaking right now about the Dallas cops. I'll give you the update on that tomorrow. There's plenty more to talk about. Um, plus, I think that we're going to switch it around. I think we're going to do the mailbag. On, we'll keep doing mailbag on Thursdays. I think we'll do Bible verse on Wednesdays so that we separated a little bit. So tomorrow we'll do some some Bible talk, If that's if that's your thing. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.